Well, uh, happy Mother's Day, and uh, man, we're so thrilled and honored that uh, all the moms that are here, and uh, we're so excited, moms, that you have thought about incorporating the Dallas Mavericks playoff game today in your plans to be honored. So uh, thank you for that up front, ladies. Um, well, we continue our series uh, on the Gospel of John today, and uh, We're looking at the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus through the Gospel of John and the life that he calls us to as his disciples. And this word disciple in the the Greek is methetes. Uh, It means student. And it has this uh, word picture to it that uh, a student would follow so close to his teacher that he would be covered with the, the sand of his teacher's sandals. And so uh, that's what we're trying to do as we walk through the Gospel of John is we're just trying to, as students, as disciples, as followers, trying to follow so closely to Jesus that we're covered literally with the the sand of his sandals. And so we're in uh, chapter 7 today, and uh, chapter 7 takes place during this Jewish celebration known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, And it would happen yearly. Uh, in the fall at harvest time, and people may, would make this pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem. And it was a festival, a celebration for the people of Israel to remind themselves who God is and what he had done uh, for their ancestors many, many, many years ago uh, when, they were, when they first uh, had their great exodus out of Egypt as Egyptian slaves but because of their disobedience, they couldn't go directly into the promised land. And so they wandered around the wilderness or the desert for 40 years. But God took care of them in some miraculous ways. And so this is a celebration just to remind themselves of who God is and what he has done. And they had these rituals to help them remember those things. And one of their rituals was that they would uh, make their trip to Jerusalem and they would live outside. They would live in tents or, or huts uh, to remind themselves that when their ancestors lived in tents, because they couldn't build permanent homes, but when they lived in tents, that God took care of them. Another ritual that they had to remind them of who God is and what he had done was every day the, the, one of the priests would go down to the pool of Shalom and take a gold pitcher and, and dip it into the pool and fill it with water. And then he, they would make this processional back to the temple. And uh, people would fall in line and they would go uh, in this uh, processional and they would sing uh, from Isaiah chapter 12, with joy we draw water from the wells of salvation. And they would just sing that over and over to remind them that their salvation, their redemption comes from God himself. And so, and then they would get to the temple and the, uh, the priest would pour the water that he had collected onto the altar. And it was there to remind them that, that one time the, the, uh, their, their ancestors were in the middle of the desert and they were extremely thirsty. But God provided water out of a rock um, that, uh, that quenched their thirst, their physical thirst, and that God was also there to quench their spiritual thirst. And so there was all these wonderful, deep, meaningful rituals that they had. And, and Jesus initially, he didn't want to go to the Feast of Tabernacles because he knew there were some people there in Jerusalem that were searching for him in order to, to kill him, okay, to murder him. And so he didn't want to go initially um, but, but he eventually goes, and he's watching all these festivals take place, all, the, all these rituals and celebrations. And uh, he, day after day, he's seeing this processional go by, day after day. And then finally, 
on the last day, Jesus screams out his message. And uh, let's look in verse 37 what this message is, and then we'll come back to it, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll unpack it. But, uh, but Jesus, he says to the crowd, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In other words, Jesus was saying, hey, I know right now you're remembering the story of, of how God provided water out of a rock for our ancestors. But what Jesus was saying is, I'm the real rock. I'm, I give real water. And anybody who comes to me who is thirsty and believes in me and who I am and what I'm about to do, by the way, and, and will, will never thirst but have living water flow from within them. And what we see immediately here is the essence of Christianity. That the essence of Christianity is that there's this, this immediate connection, this, uh, this personal connection, this deep connection, this, uh, this direct connection with the creator of the universe. And so we see three things um, about the Holy Spirit, because today's passage is about Jesus, about giving the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him. And so, so three things about the Holy Spirit, okay? Let me just give them to you up front, and then we'll, we'll unpack them as we go along. But we see how the gift, because the Holy Spirit's a gift, how the gift is prepared, uh, how the gift is received, and how the gift affects us. So how, how it's prepared, how it's received, and how it affects us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 7. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. But John chapter 7 is where we're going to be today, and we're going to be next week as well. Um, but as we talk about how, how, this, how this gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is given. Let's go back to verses 37 through 39 and look at this, shall we? It says, on the last and greatest day. So... Uh, this festival, it would go for about 12 days, and uh, it would build and build and build and build. And the last day was the greatest day of the festival. And Jesus stood, and he said in a loud voice so that everybody could hear, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him them. And by this, Jesus meant the Holy Spirit, whom those whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And up to that time, the Holy Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, okay, so what, what is John talking about here? So, so Jesus, uh, the way Jesus being glorified refers to the moment of his death and his resurrection, okay? And so, so the, the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit is prepared through the death of Jesus. Now, as we read the Old Testament, uh, we see phrases like um, the Spirit of God descended. Okay, The Spirit of God would descend on particular individuals to uh, uh, help them accomplish some pretty remarkable things. Uh, we also read in the Holy Spirit that the presence of God was with him or the presence of God was with her or the presence of God was with them. So as we read the Old Testament, we have the Spirit of God and the presence of God. They're the same thing. So, so knowing that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was active before Jesus was ever born, how could John then write that Jesus said that the gift of the Spirit was about to be given? 
I mean, right? I mean, if, if we read all throughout the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is active, how then can Jesus say that the Holy Spirit would be given to those who believe in him? Well, um, as we read commentaries, the only possible explanation would be that Jesus was saying, um, hey, guys, you remember how the Holy Spirit, um, you know, worked in the Old Testament? Well, you haven't seen anything yet. That's basically what Jesus was saying. Hey, remember all the, all the stories about how the Holy Spirit worked in people's lives? Well, you haven't seen anything yet. It was a figure of speech. In, in other words, let me, let me illustrate it for you this way. Let's say that your favorite football team uh, lost the game 42 to 6. Okay? Now, I know, I know, it sounds like I'm talking about my Texas Longhorns. Um, but, but I'm not. This is a hypothetical situation. And, uh, and I, know, I, know, I know moms are really excited about college football. It's 119 days away. Um, but, um, but anyway, let's just say, hypothetically, your favorite team lost 42 to 6. And somebody from the other team, another fan, a friend of yours, a co-worker, comes up to you the next day and says, Oh my gosh, did you see the score of the game? It's like your team didn't even show up. Now, what are they saying? I mean, they're not saying that your team didn't get on the bus and ride to the stadium, right? They're not saying that. They're, what they're saying, what they're implying is that their team's play was so great and was so dominant, it was as if your team didn't load the bus and go to the stadium to play the game. Okay, again, I'm talking hypothetically, okay? Um, and so Jesus, what he's saying is this. He's saying that... Um, that the presence, the power, the reality of the, Holy, of, the, of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that Jesus will be giving to us is so far beyond what he had already given to the people of the Old Testament. It's not even comparable. That's how great the Holy Spirit is. See, in the Old, Old Testament, people could not be in the presence of God. Now, they can come close, but not even really that close, or they would die. So they couldn't be in the presence of God. You see, in the temple, there was this back room called the Holy of Holies. And it was separated from the rest of the temple by this big curtain that went from the floor to the ceiling. And inside this, the Holy of Holies, this room was where they kept the Ark of the Covenant, where they kept the Ten Commandments. And it was the physical presence of God on earth. And nobody could dare go in because if they did, if they even got too close, they would die. And once a year, the high priest would, would cleanse himself ritually and confess his own personal sin before God. And then once a year, he would go in and ask forgiveness for the people of Israel, but only for one more year. But you know, when he went in, they tied a rope to him in case he did die. They could drag him out because nobody could go in and get his body. And so people in the Old Testament, we see these great people like, um, uh, like Jacob and, and uh, Moses and David and Isaiah. They, they want to get closer. They want to get closer. They want to get closer to the presence of God. But, but, they, but God had to hold them at, at an arm's length so that they would not get too close and die. And then John writes in chapter 1, he says, the word, and that's that's. That's John's reference for Jesus. The word became flesh and he dwelt. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. We, we got to see up close. We got to experience. Now this word dwelt, it literally means tabernacle. 
In other words, what John was saying is that God came in the flesh, his name was Jesus, and we got to hang out with him. We got to hear him. We got to see him. We got to touch him. We got to experience him. We got to know him. We beheld his glory. And Jesus brought the glory of the presence of God into our lives. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, was prepared for you and I through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's how the Spirit, that's how this gift that we are given was prepared. Now, how do we receive it? How do we receive the gift of the Spirit? Well, let's go back to verse 38. Jesus says, whoever believes. So that's it. Whoever believes in me. Okay, Uh, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, remember, Jesus, he is the master teacher. Okay, and on at at the forefront of everybody's mind as they're going through these rituals, as they're as they're uh, remembering how God took care of their ancestors. They're all thinking about this certain passage in Exodus chapter 17, the story where where God provided water. For the people that came out of a rock, when Moses took his staff and he struck the rock, water came out of this rock. And they're all remembering that. And Jesus says this verse, while that's on their mind, that whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So so here's the story that he's referring to and that's on everybody's mind. See, the people of Israel, because of the rebellion, they couldn't enter into the promised land and they had to wander around in the desert. And and even though that God took care of them in some pretty incredible ways, when they got thirsty, they rebelled against God. And they got mad at God. And they would say things to God like, you know, well, are you satisfied now? Look what kind of mess you got me into. Well, you know, God, we don't like the way that you're dealing with us. We don't like the way, uh, you know, we don't like what you're doing. We don't like what you're not doing, by the way, because you haven't done anything for us lately. We don't like the way you're managing our lives. Sound familiar? People have been grumbling against God since, since the beginning of time. And so they get mad at God, and as a result, they want to kill Moses because Moses represents God. And so God tells Moses to take the elders of the, of the people of Israel and, and take the staff that God had given him that represents God's judgment and go to the big rock. And so they gather at the big rock, and the elders are there because they represent the court of law. And the staff is there that God had given Moses because it represents the judgment of God. And as we read the story in Exodus chapter 17, we think, okay, now these guys are going to get what they deserve. But as we read it, God tells Moses that God would stand before him on the rock. And he instructed for Moses to take that staff that represented the wrath and the judgment of God and to strike the rock. And when Moses did, water flowed out of the rock. And it saved the people of Israel. And what Jesus is saying here, and what God was saying to the people of Israel on that day, was that someday, somebody is going to have to be punished for the sin and the rebellion of the human heart. 
God was saying to the people of Moses, to, to Moses and the people of Israel and to us that one day that God would come and live the life that we can't live perfectly and die the death that we all deserve. But God was saying that one day he would come and take on the punishment and the judgment and the wrath of God in our place so that when we put our faith in who Jesus is and what he has done, that we would receive the blessing. Because God is our substitute received the curse. And it wasn't until Jesus came and stood in our place and took the blow a judgment for our sin and we put our faith in that, that we could become rocks in which living water flows. And that cannot happen until we put our faith in Jesus. Until we put our faith, our trust and confidence that he is the son of God and he came and lived the perfect life and he died the death that we deserve and, and that we cannot save ourselves and we need a savior. So if we want to receive that gift, we have to believe. And so we have to ask, well, who, who, gets, who, who, who gets in? Who gets to receive the gift? Jesus says, anyone who's willing to admit that they're lacking. Anyone who's willing to admit that they are not enough. Anyone who's willing to admit that they aren't good enough, even on their best day, to perform their way into God's good graces. Anyone who, who's willing to say, I don't have what it takes to save myself. Anyone who would say, I'm thirsty, can come and drink and be saved from their sins and have a direct connection with the God of the universe and have eternal life with him. That's how we receive the gift that has been prepared for us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So let's move on to the last point of how does it affect us? How, how does this gift of the Holy Spirit that we have, that we don't understand a whole lot about, how does it affect our lives? Well, three, three applications for our hearts, okay? And get ready to play along here, okay? First one is water renews. Let's say that together. Water renews. Water renews. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, if you and I are thirsty, the Spirit quenches our thirst and renews our hearts. There's nothing wrong with being thirsty. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be satisfied. The problem is we're too easily satisfied. The problem is our thirst is too easily quenched. But see, the real work of the Holy Spirit, as, as, as Caleb alluded to, is the real work of the Holy Spirit is to put a spotlight on Jesus. You say, okay, well, what, what, what does that look like? Well, what it looks like is, you know, you know what a spotlight does, right? Right? As we dim the lights here. You know, a spotlight is to, like, bring, to draw the audience's eyes or attention to a certain character or a scene, right? The, the work of a spotlight is to draw the eyes and attention of the audience to the action. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That the Holy Spirit draws our mind's attention and our heart's affection to what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. 
That, that Jesus says, I am your king and I'm your Lord. I'm your hope. I'm your love. I'm your security. I, I am the lone source of your approval and acceptance and significance. That I am your identity. And the Holy Spirit causes our mind's attention and our heart's affection to, to look towards what Jesus has done for us. And so how do we know? How do you and I know if the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives? Here's a couple of ways we know. Number one, we know that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives when God's love and acceptance overrides the rejection of others. That's how we know. That, that, when, that, that when we are betrayed or when we're left out or uninvited and, uh, and, and that hurts and it doesn't take away the pain of that, but in that moment that we can grab onto the love and acceptance and remember that, that nothing says that I'm more loved and more accepted and more, uh, more approved and more significant than Jesus Christ dying on the cross for my sin, then I have something to help me deal with the betrayal and the pain and the hurt of that rejection. That's how we know the Holy Spirit is at work. It's highlighting the work of the cross. We also know that God, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives whenever God's wisdom and power overrides our fear and anxiety. And if we've seen anything that over the past two years, we've seen anxiety and fear and depression on the rise. That's changed over the last couple of years. We've seen it rise. But one thing that hasn't changed is we still worship the same God who is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we step into those moments of anxiety, we have to remind ourselves and ask ourselves, okay, what is bigger than God? In fact, let's not even make that a rhetorical question. Let me ask you, what's bigger than God? Nothing. What's bigger than God? Nothing. Okay, what is God bigger than? Everything. And so we hang on to that wisdom and we hang on to that truth and we hang on to that power and we walk through this moment of anxiety. Another way we know that the Holy Spirit has worked in our lives is that God's strength and comfort overrides our circumstances. And we're able to sit in that doctor's office you say, God, I, I, I don't want to be here. I don't like being here. I, I don't like the diagnosis that I'm facing. But God, I, I know that you are with me and that you will never leave me or forsake me. So as I sit here and process the information that was just given me, thank you that you are here and you will not leave. That's how we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. So, so water renews. Secondly, is that uh, water cleanses us. Water cleanses. Let's say that together. Water cleanses. See, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he, he's holy. Okay, And he has a very sensitive nose, which means that the Holy Spirit will find those little pockets of, of pride and self-pity and dishonesty and immorality and things that the Bible calls sin. See, prior to you know, putting our faith in Jesus and prior to us receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, we, we could live with the stench of our sin. We could tolerate the stench of our sin. 
But once the Holy Spirit comes into our lives with his sensitive nose, he starts to seek those things out. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're going somewhere with a buddy of yours and he says, hey, I'll drive and, uh, and you go to get into his car or her car. And uh, as you're trying to get in, they're just taking all the sacks of Jack in a Box and Taco Bell and just pushing them off the, off the floor and, and onto, the, onto the floorboard, off the, off the chair, off the seat and onto the floorboard. They're, they're just kind of scooping those, those burrito wrappers and taco wrappers off the dash and onto the floor. And they're like, you know, hey, can you hold this Starbucks cup from a few days ago? And, you know, this Starbucks cup from a few days ago. And, no, I'm not, this is hypothetical. I'm not talking about any of my family's car, okay? Uh, but uh, they're just, you know, they're just rearranging trash. And you go to get in and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's still, that stinks. I, I, I can't, I can't. No, come on, get in. It's not that big a deal. You'll get used to it. Yo, come on, get in. He goes, no, 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 I'll walk. They're like, don't be ridiculous. It's 30 miles. I'm like, I will walk before I sit in that car. That's the Holy Spirit. We used to be able to tolerate our sin, but the Holy Spirit comes and seeks out and begins to cleanse us, begins to cleanse us from the inside out by highlighting Jesus. And begins to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So water renews, water cleanses, and water flows out. Let's say that. Water flows out. This is, this is important. See, a Christian becomes a river of living water for other people. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Am I a fountain or a drain for other people? Am I a fountain or a drain for my spouse? Am I a fountain or a drain for my kids? Am I a fountain or a drain for my parents? Am I a fountain or a drain for my coworkers? Am I a fountain or a drain for my classmates, for my teachers, for my coaches, for my players, for my students? Am I a fountain or a drain? Are, are, are the people who are around me on a consistent basis, are they dying of thirst and being depleted? Or do they feel like they are being refreshed like a cool fountain on a hot day? So the work of the Holy Spirit flows out of us onto other people. So what do we do? What do we do as we hear these, these, these applications for our hearts? What if we, we know we're a Christian. We, we put our faith in Jesus. But what do we, what do, we do if we can't sense the, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? Well, that's where God gives us some tools. And they all build on each other. And as the band comes to lead us in this song that we sang, that we started to learn... What happens is we can't sense the Holy Spirit. We go back to his word. Somebody says, well, I don't ever hear God speaking to me. Okay, we'll go back to his word. Well, I still can't hear his voice. Okay, listen to it audibly on, on, on you know, a recording. I almost said cassette, but then I realized half the audience wouldn't know what that is. Listen to God's word. Get God's word consistently in us. And then we go to prayer. We're not saying our prayers. We're praying. We're like, God, man, I, I, I read this difficult, not to understand, but to live out truth. And 
I don't know if I can do that or how is this in my life or, 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 or asking God, what, what is it that I thirst after that, that brings me significance and approval and acceptance? What is it that gives me anxiety? And then let's go back to God's word and Google verses about anxiety. Google verses about acceptance or relationships. And now we're, now we're going to go back to prayer. Okay, God, I, I heard your word say this. And, and then, then we go to corporate worship. Say, man, I've had a really hard week. I don't feel like these songs are true, but I hear my brothers and my sisters sing these words and they're reminding me who God is and what he's done. And then we gather with a few trusted friends that are a gospel-centered community and we say, hey, do you guys see in my life the, the things that I'm thirsting after that's not Jesus? Things that, that quench my thirst, that satisfy my desire to, 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 to feel important or significant or, or to be approved or loved or accepted. And, and they're able to gently speak some truth. And we take that truth. And we go back to consistent moments in God's word. And what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to point, highlight, spotlight the work of the cross. Jesus becomes bigger and we become small.